wonderful to see. Great fellowship. All right, this is, this is our church family life um, time, 11 a.m. to 11.45. Um, on the second and third Sundays of the month, we do Bible study. Um, and so we're going to study the Bible together. And this will be not just one directional. I'll ask a few questions. I'll give you opportunity to talk with each other. So that's kind of the format we have, um, or I'll be utilizing today. But you can turn back with me to Matthew 10. We're going to continue on in our passage, Matthew 10. So in a few moments, we'll, we'll read that. The rest of the chapter. But before we do that, before you look down at your passage, I want to ask you a few questions. I'll ask you one question. That is this. Why did Jesus come to earth? I think there are multiple right answers here. Uh, so who, who's going to raise their hand? Be first. Um, if you can not just give me um, you know, a purpose for Jesus coming to earth, but also a passage that supports it. Bonus points for you. Uh, but raise your hand. Why did Jesus come to earth? Steve. Amen. Seek and to save those that are lost. Good. Luke 19.10. Who else? Why did Jesus come to earth? Mm, Philippians 2. To serve, not to be served. Come as a servant. Um, good. Humble. Anyone else? Why did Jesus come to earth? Latifa. Fulfill prophecy. Absolutely. Good. What else? Um, let's start over here, Kim. To heal the brokenhearted. Good. And your name? To fulfill the Father's will. Absolutely. In your name? Marcel. Marcel. Great to have you. Thank you for that. Excellent. What else? Any more? There's a lot more, by the way. But, and that's actually, this would be a good study. If you wanted to type in to a Bible search tool or something, um, you know, I've come to, or, you know, if you search the internet, you'll be able to find, uh, do a study there on those, on why Jesus came to earth. And it's, it's, it's very interesting, but... Um, anyone else? Pastor Eric. John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Mm-hmm. Doing the work that you gave me to do. Good. Right. Right. Fulfilling the, the will of God, glorifying God. Good. Any others? Kalel. Uh, John 3, 16, uh, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Son came to bring um, salvation. Good. Anybody else? Yes. Uh, Justin? No. Dave. Dave. My bad. Uh, Romans 5, uh, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He came to die. He came to die. That's right. These are good. Anyone else have one they want to share? Daniel? that they might have life. Good. These are all, all great. Let me, let me walk through a couple more. Some of them you, are, you guys already hit. Um, <clears throat> Matthew five seventeen. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Christ came to fulfill the law. John six thirty eight. 
For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but will the fa- him who sent me. Marcel observed that. First Timothy 1.15, saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. John 12, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. John 18, Pilate is, is asking him, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Mark 10 and Luke 19, for even as the yeah, Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, he came to seek and to save the lost. Good. You know, one answer that usually do, we usually don't get um, when we ask this question is that Jesus came to bring a sword. But that's what Jesus says right here in the first verse of our passage today. What we have in front of us today is, includes one of the hard sayings of Jesus. Um, it's hard not just because it's difficult to understand, but because it's difficult for us to hear. Uh, he, he gives some sobering and some really startling realities about his messianic ministry, why he came to earth, which we're going to discuss together. And then Jesus connects that reality with the serious cost of following him. In a moment, we're going to read the passage um, and work through it together. Um, but let's just pray. Ask, ask God to open our eyes once again to prepare our hearts to understand and receive and then obey his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Um, it is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces and divides and exposes and it, your, your word corrects and guides. And I pray that you do all of that right now. For the glory of God. Amen. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and the daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is the disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. At first glance, um, and without context, Jesus' initial statement in verse 34 sounds very contrary to various messianic prophecies and the gospel accounts. For example, Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and ever forevermore. Zechariah 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. See, 
humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Then you have the angels announcing Jesus' birth to the shepherds in the gospel of Luke. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then finally, Jesus correcting Peter on that night when he was betrayed and arrested by Roman soldiers. Jesus says to him, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Clearly, Jesus, he's not set on violence and peace is an important component of his ministry, of his kingdom. So, who can tell me what type of peace did Jesus bring in his first... I put it up there for you. Uh, What type of peace did Jesus bring in his first coming? Peace with God. Romans Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your not, hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then Ephesians, this, um, he himself is our peace, who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to, to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. You were going to say something? You're not, you can't ask questions. I'm the only one that asks. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I'm afraid of this. Let's just open up Ephesians 2 real quick and just look at that. Because he does both. Um, That's a good question. We're specifically focusing on his... hostility that we had with him. So Ephesians 2 verse 14... I'll just start reading in verse 11. Therefore, remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcision by what is called uncircumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at times separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, in Christ, Jesus, you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Um, Ephesians, he'll talk about the, the Gentiles, and we'll talk about Jews, but here the hostility is we were, we were Gentiles in the flesh. We were separated from Christ, and he, is, he has brought us near. He's brought us, given us peace. The, um, 
R.T. France says the peace that the Messiah brings is much more than the absence of fighting, which uh, men dignify with the name of peace. Um, It is a restored relationship with God. And in bringing of such peace, paradoxically, uh, conflict is inevitable. Can can you see— you see what's happening here? By, by bringing us peace with God, he's bringing division between us and the world. Between us and the kingdom of darkness, which includes all those who are still in Satan's kingdom. And in that way, and this, this helps to explain Jesus' statement. He didn't come just to promote world peace. You know this. Bumper stickers are all over the place, just world peace. He, he came to provide peace with God, which seems like a sword because it divides those who believe from those who do not, sometimes including family. Verse 35, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. person's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus' goal is not to drive wedges between family members. Um, Jesus' purpose is to rescue people from destruction, and oftentimes that means um, they will be ostracized. They will be rejected by their own family. Um, This is an imperfect illustration um, I thought of, but imagine with me that you're a police officer. uh, You're involved with rescuing children from situations of domestic violence. Um, Someone could rightfully describe you as one who doesn't bring peace but a sword. Uh, dividing parents and kids. And yet, that, that's not the whole story, is it? It's a byproduct of the greater mission for this child's safety. Um, again, not a perfect illustration, but G- Jesus came to bring a sword in the sense that the peace that he would provide would inevitably require the cutting off of relationships. Jesus explains all this to bring us to this first requirement for his disciples. All that was given to bring us to this first requirement, okay? And we find it in verse 37. Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Number one, following Jesus requires you to love God supremely. Following Jesus requires you to love God supremely. From, from what I have observed here in Murrieta, California, I think for most people, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, their, their first love is their family. Well, first love is themselves. <laughs> um, but second would be their family. Family is, at least by their confession, is everything. Um, Again, they may not live like that. Their investment of time may communicate that, you know, work or possessions is, is everything. But at least from what people say, from what I've observed, family is everything. But that is not the way Jesus saw it. In Matthew 12, Jesus, he's speaking to people, and his mother and brother stood outside speaking to him, um, asking to speak to him, and he replies, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother, my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And it's, it's not that Jesus forgot who his biological family was. Um, it's not that he failed to honor and love them. I mean, after all, in, in some of his final words from the cross before he died, he, in excruciating pain, 
he's ensuring that his mother is going to be taken care of. Here, John, your mother, your son. Jesus honored his parents, but at the same time, he prioritized his relationship with his heavenly father, right? You remember when his parents couldn't find him after their trip to Jerusalem, when Jesus was a boy, what did he respond? Do you not know I must be in my father's house? Following Jesus requires you to love him supremely, more than family or friends. Once again, we, don't, we probably don't appreciate the weight of that commitment like some in different parts of the world. Um, the Christian Post once featured an article on the late apologist um, Nabil Qureshi. Heard of him before? Great apologist. Um, he, Qureshi described uh, his conversion from Islam to Christianity. And he, he described it as the most difficult decision in his life. He, he said, I asked, I asked God to kill me because I lost my family. I lost my friends in the mosque. I lost all the people who loved me the moment I became a Christian. That is not our experience in the Western world. Um, But for many, to choose Christ means a loss of, of relationships. Following Jesus requires you to love God supremely. Thoughts? Questions on that? Tim? Uh, I'm just thinking about how that separation and that divide, that cost that comes from following Christ works both ways. So it's not always that our family uh, hates us and rejects us because we follow Christ, but sometimes it's our family Both ways. Good. That's true. Anyone else? Loving God supremely doesn't mean you don't love your family. What is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. And who is your neighbor? I mean, the person that's next to you, the person that's in your in the, the bedroom just next to you. I mean, that, that's your closest neighbor right there. Those that love God will love their family. But who do you love supremely? Jesus continues by giving the second requirement of his followers. The cost doesn't merely involve your relationships. Jesus says it requires your entire life. Following Jesus um, requires you to love God supremely and it requires you to lose your life completely. Uh, that's the word that he gives. He, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does that mean? What does it mean to lose your life? I mean, other than dying. Shed the old self. Shed the old self? Good. 
say no to your own way. Okay, good. Hunter. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yes. So you're pulling in that, that cross, crucifixion, crucifying the flesh. Good, good connections there. What else? Gabriel, I think you see in the back. Walk in the spirit. Good. Does that mean to die to self? Anything else? Or lose your life? You search this phrase and it'll, it'll come up a number of times in the Gospels. Other times he'll say, um, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus, similar to what Heidi Jean was just mentioning. Um, good. This, you know, it is interesting. This statement by Jesus is, is astonishing for many reasons. One, this is the first reference to the cross in the gospel of Matthew. And it's spoken in reference not to Christ, but his disciples. We read, we read the cross back into this passage from our, time, you know, our place and, and time. But for the disciples, this is just shocking and, and actually horrifying. And yet Jesus is, he's not just talking about physically dying. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't, otherwise, you wouldn't be able to die and then follow him. Um, he's talking about some other type of, of death. So let me just pause here. I'm just going to give you a few minutes to, let's just change it up. And you talk to the person next to you about um, what that looks like for you in daily life. What, what would it look like for you as a follower of Christ to take up your cross daily, to die to self? Um, and if you want to pull in other references, other scriptures, you can do that. But let's just meditate on that for just a moment together. Um, what does it mean to to lose your life. And in Jesus' words, actually, that's when you actually find it. All right, so you have like two minutes, three minutes to talk to the person next to you about what it looks like in your daily life to lose your life and thereby to find it.
All right. Go ahead and wrap up that conversation. All right, we've talked about following Jesus and how that requires you to love God supremely, how it requires you to lose your life completely. You know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we glorify God, our body and our spirit, which are God's. Um, we are um, we're supposed to lose our life, um, not just by death, but, but death to self. This is hard. Um, and he finishes his last few verses um, with the third requirement, and that is that following require, Jesus requires receiving his disciples. I already did that. Following Jesus requires receiving his disciples. In Matthew 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out on mission, right? Um, near the beginning of the chapter, if you were to look down at Matthew 10, he gave them instructions, and then he he spends some time explaining how they are to interact with those, those people that receive or reject them, right? He says, if they reject you, then, you know, dust of your feet, leave that town, go on to the next. Um, so then he wraps up Matthew 10, referring back to how people re- would receive his disciples. He mentions um, their reception, and he says, whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And we read the rest of that passage earlier. So first, he addresses those who receive his apostles. Um, And then in descending order, he addresses the reception of um, all the way down to a minor act of kindness to the the least in the kingdom of God, a, a, a mere little one, a disciple. But it makes no difference. God will reward people's reception, whether it is for a prophet or a, a pauper, uh, one that follows Jesus, because they receive a disciple um, and their message. When they receive a disciple and their message, they're receiving Christ himself. Um, and I, I think this connection between the disciple and Jesus is remarkable because in some ways it kind of previews the, the type of union with Christ that Paul would talk about when he speaks about the church as, as the body of Christ and each of us being in Christ. When someone receives a disciple, it's a way that they received Christ. So let me just show you a few verses here from the New Testament. Um, look at the early church and see how they received the brothers. Um, Acts 15.4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders. They declared all that God had done with them. Acts 18, when they had finished, wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who had, through grace, had believed. And then Acts 21, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Third John, beloved, is faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for, their, for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. You know, I was just thinking about the, um, we had the, um, 
one of our missionary partners here, missions partners, and then another, both of which I won't name publicly because it's on live stream, uh, both of which are in closed access countries or creative access. And, um, and the, some of our missions partners are going to be coming in just uh, another month or so. And I was just reading this wondering, how, how do we, how might we receive them in a way that would be a blessing to them? I just want to put this out for you because I was just thinking about this on, on the way over this morning. Um, this goes well beyond just missionaries, right? We see this in Acts, um, but it definitely includes them. So perhaps we could be more intentional about how we receive and welcome them. Um, something to think about just before they arrive. And um, I, just Missions Partners has been on my mind recently. Um, and so I wanted to, to observe what Jesus says here. You receive them, these messengers of the, of the, go- messengers of the gospel, and you're receiving me. But, but Jesus takes it beyond that because he even says here, um, even to the least of these uh, little ones. So I think it extends beyond just missionaries, but actually receiving, welcoming um, other believers. And so let me put this question out to you. How do we, how do we serve, how do we receive Jesus' disciples? Following Jesus requires receiving his disciples. I mean, he gives you one illustration there at the bottom of the passage. <laughs> but how do we receive? How do we, how do we do that on a Sunday morning? Any ideas, Jeremy? We greet one another. There you go. Good. We pray for one another. Good. Yeah, that's really practical. More than just a cup of cold water, probably, hopefully, <laughs> that you give. That can be, that can be a way to receive and, and, um, and bless them. Anything else? Eric? Yeah, so it goes beyond just physical what we do, both in our words. Um, it could actually be just a being there with someone too, rejoicing with somebody who just had a baby this morning, or bearing a burden, or, or weeping with somebody that's that's grieving. Anything else, Robin? Yeah, to serve one another. And how do we serve one another? Or how do we not? How should we not serve one another? Do you remember back in Matthew 6? Um, and also speaking about rewards and, and, um, and doing things for others. How did Jesus, how did Jesus say we're supposed to, to pray and to give and to serve? Do you remember? Not publicly for man's praise. Go back and read Matthew 6 sometime. We do it secretly, we do it privately, we do it for, for God's glory. Following Jesus requires you to love God supremely. Following Jesus requires you to lose your life completely and requires receiving his, his disciples. So um, that's all I have. Let's, let's just close by taking a moment to consider whether we are... Um,
whether this is true of us. Um, as his disciples were sitting there in front of him, and Jesus is explaining what they're going out to do and what they must be, I wonder if they're, I mean, you have Judas also sitting there. He must be thinking to himself, I don't love God supremely. But he didn't repent of that. So will you? Will you take a moment right now and just pray and ask God to expose um, the, the, the worldly loves that you have um, or the way in which you've kind of taken ownership of your life, refusing to deny certain things and, and just give your life completely to him. And may God help us to, um, to find our life as we, as we lose it um, for him and for his glory. I'll pray, and then um, you can pray for a few moments here. Um, just take opportunity to respond to the word that has been preached today and that we've read, and then uh, you'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, that it's convicting, um, that it shows us our, um, our, our need for you, desperate need for you. Um, and I pray that we would not uh, lose that, as we um, jump back onto the, um, the, the, into the fast-paced life that we do have. Um, some of us are, are traveling um, this week. Some of us are, um, you know, have all kinds of activities for the summer. I pray that we would um, we'd really contemplate, do we love you supremely? Have we... Um, denied our flesh? Are we crucifying it um, every single day? Are we true followers of Jesus? So expose our sin and give us grace to respond in love to you. In Jesus' name, amen.